gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Liftoff. Start on Thompson. Steps right. Shoots for the win. of three. He got it. He got it. Same my first rodeo. Westbrook to the basket. Turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook. House the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington biggest shot of the game and he hits it. The corner. P.J. Tucker. Time to you know, accomplish something together that we haven't accomplished before. We both understand that we have one common goal, and that's to win a championship. So <laughs> let's get it. Rockets small ball improves to eight and two on the year, four and two in the Robert Covington era, in what was pretty much the biggest game of the season to date. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Jackson Gatlin. You can find me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. You can also find our show on Twitter at Locked on Rockets. And you guys know the drill. If you enjoy what we do here at Locked on Rockets, subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all those places. Drop us a review. Leave us some stars. I would sincerely appreciate it. The Rockets walk into Salt Lake City for the second time this season and beat the Utah Jazz 120-110, to improving the team to 36-20, dropping the Jazz to 36-20, and and thankfully, since this is the final matchup between these two teams, the Rockets walk away with the season series two games to one. So as it stands, the Rockets are comfortably in sole possession of the fourth seed. Even though they have an identical record to the Utah Jazz, they have the head-to-head tiebreaker, which is so important with how tightly contested everything is in the Western Conference right now. This game had everything. This game had, it. What maybe it wasn't quite playoff intensity, but you could tell every, everybody knew what the stakes were in this game. Everybody knew how important this game was. I mean, and... The Rockets came out and had a hell of a first quarter. They couldn't defend anything in the first half. They couldn't play a lick of defense throughout the first 24 minutes. But, man, they came out just guns blazing in that first quarter. Hit 8 of 10 three-pointers in that first frame. It's unreal. And just over the course of the game, I mean, you had 13 lead changes. The game was tied up 8 different times. Just... This was one of those games where until it got to that third quarter, I was genuinely concerned that the Rockets weren't going, that they were going to have a repeat of the last time they met up with the Jazz here in Houston because they were allowing the guards of the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley to a little bit of a lesser extent, the perimeter defense was just non-existent. The guards were driving into the paint at will and getting anything that they wanted. And they were driving in, they were either scoring themselves, they were collapsing the defense, and we've seen it. So throughout that entire first 24 minutes, the Rockets' defense was essentially just collapsing on these drives. And the Jazz were not capitalizing with their three-point shooting, so thankfully they didn't build up enough of a... Enough of an advantage, I should say. You know, the Rockets won the three-point shooting battle, as they usually do because of the sheer volume of threes that they take. They won the three-point battle 20-7. to So the Rockets hit 20 of 48 threes as a team. The Jazz just hit 7 of 31. So while the Jazz came into this game as, one, as the best three-point shooting team in the league, they just don't shoot enough of them to keep up. So the Rockets were, what, that's 60 points on threes, 21 for the Jazz. The Rockets were plus 39 from behind the arc compared to the Jazz. But not only that, 
the Rockets were able to really turn this one around in that third quarter. That third quarter is what separated the Rockets from the Jazz. Third quarter in favor of the Rockets, 38-19. to They doubled the Jazz's point total in that quarter. But they really, and while their offense was clicking in that third quarter and they went on a really impressive 14-2 run to cap things off headed into the fourth with a score of 185, that was impressive. Absolutely, the offense was exactly what it needed to be. What was most impressive were the defensive adjustments. They came out, they they realized exactly how poorly they were playing in that first quarter, or well, in the first 24 minutes, and they made the defensive adjustments needed to prevent the Jazz from really staying in it and keeping them out of it. There were a couple pushes in the fourth quarter that the Jazz made, but for the most part, they kind of cruised off of that huge third quarter to the W at the end of the game. The Jazz shot just 6 of 19 in that third quarter. Rockets also forced five turnovers. So the defense was definitely a bit more amped up in that third quarter. Not only that, did James Harden and Russell Westbrook, they both had a couple big games. Combined for 72 points. And seeing as how the last time they faced the Jazz, the three Jazz guards, Mitchell, Conley, and Clarkson, combined for 74 points. It's only fitting that the Rockets turned around and dropped 70 of themselves with their two superstar guards. So James Harden, 38 points, five rebounds, seven assists, had a couple steals, had a block, was a plus 24 in his time on the court. Russell Westbrook, 34 points, six rebounds, four assists, one steal, couple turnovers. Limiting turnovers was huge in this one. As a team, the Rockets only had 10 turnovers. And between James and Russ, just two for Russ, three for James, not bad at all. Russ, however, was a minus two. Baffling to me that they lose the Russ minutes that heavily. One, because he pretty much shared the court with James the entire time. So, and I mean, a big chunk of that run that they did go on was during that third quarter, you know, after Russ finally got his got his break, because Russ played 21 of 24 first half minutes. I don't know what was going through Mike D'Antoni's head, but for some reason, Russ did not get his usual rest in that second quarter. So Russ plays 21 of 24 first half minutes, takes his rest maybe a little bit earlier, I want to say, in that third quarter, probably went out about the six-minute mark, six-and-a-half-minute mark. And I guess just... The run that they went on while Russ sat was big enough to give James Harden that 24 point, that plus 24. It was a game high plus 24. The next highest rocket, uh, what, plus 10 for P.J. Tucker and for Eric Gordon? So for James Harden to have that high of a plus minus differential is just absurd. The shooting was pretty impressive as well from not just the team, but from James. 6 of 11 from behind the arc. Russell Westbrook was forced into taking a couple three-pointers, well, taking four three-pointers, hitting two of them. Not the most ideal. So definitely don't want to see Russ making a habit out of that. But when you've got seven-foot-something, seven-foot-one Rudy Gobert sitting in the paint for you, I guess it can be a little more inviting to want to take those threes rather than drive the ball in every opportunity that he gets. So we'll hear from Russ. His post-game interview was probably one for the ages Uh, Just snacking on popcorn while he's chatting away about the way the Jazz are guarding him. We'll also hear from Tyson Chandler and just kind of some of the veteran leadership that he brings to the squad, both 
cuts of audio or from the post game after this huge win against the Utah Jazz. So we'll get to that in just one second after this break. And we are back in here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting about the Rockets' 120-110 victory over the Utah Jazz, improving them to 36-20 on the year. They are now 17-12 on the road. The Jazz fall to 36-20, now 20-7 at home. The Rockets just have the Jazz's number. That's Of the seven losses the Jazz have in Salt Lake City, two of them belong to the Rockets. Really don't know what it is. You know, it's great because this is one of the old school rivalries in the NBA, and it kind of feels like, you know, the the fact that the Rockets have eliminated the Jazz from the playoffs a couple years now, and, you know, the Jazz aren't necessarily, it's not necessarily as powerful of a rivalry as it once was, you know, back in the in the mid-90s and whatnot, but it does feel, and not even just the mid-90s, but back in like the late 2000s too, those Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams Jazz teams that eliminated the Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming Rockets teams a couple years in a row. It seems like these two teams have just had such a history between each other, and it really feels like that's maybe building back up again. But I love beating the Jazz. I'll just be upfront and honest about it. Just like I was about beating the Warriors, there's just a handful of teams in the league, like three or four of them, that it's just always so great beating them. It's got to be, for me, Golden State Warriors, not in any particular order, but Golden State Warriors, Utah Jazz, Spurs... Mavericks. It's got to be those four. I mean, pretty much those four. I don't even get that much enjoyment out of beating the Lakers as much as I do any of those other four teams. But anyways, back to this one. So as promised, we'll hear from Russell Westbrook really quickly, just his post-game thoughts, which was, in case you didn't see the actual video on Twitter, it's hilarious because he's just munching on some popcorn while he's got some of the... He, we know that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are two pretty animated guys sometimes when they speak. You know, their, their mannerisms, their the facial expressions that they make. And Russ, this was probably an interview for the ages. Russ had some, you know, great little expressions that he was making, talking about Rudy Gobert guarding him, you know, having a seven-footer guard him. And uh, so without further ado, we'll just jump into that really quickly, and then we'll talk about it in a second. Keep my pace up. Tires dim out. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not used to running up and down the court like that. You know, it comes to our benefit, so... It's good for us. Have you ever been guarded by a seven-footer regularly throughout a game before? Not until last time we played him. And, and what, what I mean, everybody's been doing it, but I don't know if it's working. But. Yeah, what, what, what do you take advantage of when, I get when what you I want. somebody? I get whatever I want, get to the basket, shoot, uh, drive and kick, my pace and speed. Um, it's something you can't scout for. You can scout for moves and scout for all that, but speed you can't scout for. And that's what I got to my advantage. When they're basically daring you to shoot those mid-range jumpers, when you're just that's walking. That's cash. Cotton shot. Right. Me and my pops worked on that. 14 years old. Cash money. Cotton shot, cash money. <laughs> Westbrook is... I. Well, there's one thing you can't fault him for is he is one of, if not the most confident guys to have ever worn a Rockets jersey. I mean, I don't know if it's exactly uh, cash money since he's only shooting 46% on middies since January 1st, but you got to appreciate the confidence. And he did knock down his fair share in this past game against the Jazz. Of his 14 made field goals, seven of them were mid-range jumpers, with one of them being right on the outskirts of the paint area. But every single other mid, every single other you know official mid-range jumper was of distance. You know, probably in that 16 to 18 foot range, more or less. So he followed up that 
that first bit of the interview with a second bit kind of talking about which was probably the play of the game in the eyes of everybody, which was the James Harden to Russell Westbrook alley-oop dunk. And here's what he had to say about that. There was a lot of animosity with the crowd and you, and you said you need to do a better job of controlling your emotions, you know, with the tech last yeah. game. How do you think you did? did he did great today. Um, I can pat myself on the back because I can tell myself when I'm wrong, too. Um, but when people boo you, um, always take it as a positive because they only boo me for one reason, because they think I'm pretty good. So I'm okay with that. How would you feel with that dude? With the alley-oop? Yeah. You know, I still got a little bounce. That's all I can say. What, what was the conversation with the fans in the uh, in the corner there right before the hoop and then right after? Uh, before the hoop, a guy was telling me, shoot the three, shoot the three. Gobert's the best defensive player in the league. I said, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and I just sat there, and then so while he was talking, I just it went back to her. But it happened that quick. And then afterwards, you, you had a little something to say. I was screaming. I didn't say nothing to them. I was screaming at myself. There's a couple of videos circulating around of some different angles of that Russell Westbrook alley-oop from James Harden. And you can clearly see him, you know, chatting with the fans right there in the front row, you know, and it's great because the best one is literally like somebody right there, you know, courtside or right behind courtside seats, you know, taking the video of Westbrook and you can just see him, you know, shaking his head off and just nope, 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 like not going to kind of be goaded into arguing with the fans and then he shouts something down down the court towards uh towards James I w- James I would assume and then as soon as James starts his drive you see Westbrook just take off down the baseline for that little backdoor cut kind of behind Gobert as Gobert's assisting in the lane trying to stop the James Harden drive and the pass is just thrown so perfectly by James right over the top of Rudy Gobert's outstretched fingers and Russell Westbrook just yams at home you know it's I will never get sick of James Harden to Russell Westbrook alley-oops they are in, I was going to say incredible, but I don't even know if that word does it justice. They're just something about those alley-oops gets everybody hyped up. And lastly, as promised, a quick clip of Tyson Chandler kind of hyping everybody up in a post-game huddle after this huge win against the Utah Jazz. Every game, think about what we plan for. It's, it's a shortened season now. So every time we step on the court, we got to understand what we building for. Yeah, so we got to keep getting better defensively because we can. And we can keep getting better offensively. We're worried about us getting better. Yeah. Let's get to the position, y'all. Here you go, guys. Help Help three, one, two, three. Have a good game, guys. Good Help job, guys. Great job. Just want to throw it out there that that little blip in the audio was not because I can't edit audio. That was because Tyson Chandler said a no-no word, and that needed to not be in there. So just a kind of a peek behind the scenes as to the veteran leadership that Tyson Chandler brings to this squad. And that's why I don't think it's as easy as saying, you know, when when Markeith Morris became available to grab up via waivers, which is kind of an unspoken, you don't do that rule in the NBA. That's why it wasn't as easy as, oh, just drop Tyson Chandler. You know, just, just wave Tyson Chandler, cut him, bring in Markeith Morris off waivers. No, that's just... Tyson Chandler brings this team a lot behind the scenes that we will probably never get to see or fully appreciate what he brings behind the scenes. But he is, you know, a great locker room presence to have somebody who's got his head on his shoulders right. And, you know, ideally, maybe regarding this Damari Carroll Instagram fiasco, you know, it's possible that, you know, a guy like Tyson Chandler can maybe help diminish some of the frustrations that Damari Carroll may or may not be having at the hands of the Houston Rockets organization. So we'll have some additional thoughts on this one because I definitely haven't gotten all of them out just yet. 
about this game, kind of, uh, you know, some thoughts on Robert Covington, who didn't shoot the ball particularly well in this game, but was still a monster presence on the defensive side of things. And then as well as talk about the Damari Carroll uh, Instagram story drama and kind of what that means moving forward for this Rockets club and a couple more points to make in this final segment. So we'll hit this break and be right back. And final segment here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, discussing the Rockets 120-110 victory over the Jazz. So a couple points to make. I mentioned it in the last segment. Robert Covington did not have a great game by any stretch of the imagination offensively. He was 2 of 12 from behind the three-point arc, 3 of 14 overall. There's one thing to be said for that, right? He has just... Five games in, five, six games in? Yeah, six games in, he has completely bought into what is Rockets basketball. They told him, do not be afraid to shoot, and he is not afraid to shoot. He's got the spirit, and that's important. Because if he's going to get discouraged by his shot, I've harped on it time and time again, and I was even talking about it during the game on Twitter a little bit during that first, uh, really during the second quarter where the Rockets fell behind so or you know struggled so miraculously was hesitancy in shooters because all throughout that first half, it really felt like even though the Rockets were 8 of 10 in that first quarter, so maybe specifically more so in that second quarter is what I'm remembering, but they were, the shooters were being hesitant. There were a number of passes that were made, you know, out of what what would have been considered a good three-point shot within the Rockets system where the shooters were passing it and then James or Russ or somebody not named James or Russ was having to then drive into the teeth of the Jazz defense. And that's not how you beat the Utah Jazz. You beat them by hammering home the three-pointers, which they, they got back to doing that in the third and fourth quarters. They really did. But that second quarter, they passed up on too many threes, and they also just didn't hit the threes that they were being given. Because again, if you if you pass up on an open three-pointer against the Jazz, then you have to drive into the likes of Rudy Gobert, and that's that's not ideal for anybody. You know, that's exactly what the Jazz want you to do, is they want to run you off the three-point line. They want to funnel you into their defensive player of the year and hope that they can contain you that way. So it's a good thing that the Rockets moved away from that. But again, Robert Covington struggled from behind the arc, 2 of 12 shooting, just a really poor offensive performance overall. But defensively, Robert Covington was phenomenal, sensational. It just it, 12 rebounds, just three blocks. So this is, so he had what? So now it's four blocks against the Boston Celtics before the break, four blocks against the Golden State Warriors after the break, and now three blocks in this one against the Utah Jazz. I mean, look, with Rockets small ball, right, they don't have a traditional big anymore. They just don't. But that doesn't mean that they're not playing big, for lack of better terminology. Just Robert Covington is a guy who, I guess, where he's excelling right now is as a weak side defender for the Rockets. His ability to close the space and still be able to guard out on the three-point line, but also to be able to quickly drop in and, you know, smother somebody else in the paint or help, you know, P.J. Tucker recover on an opposing big or James Harden, for that matter. Robert Covington's ability to be in the paint and to be a part of you know the two or three guys that are collapsing on these uh, bigger players as they're trying to make their move in the paint. I mean, it felt like Robert Covington, of his three blocks, it felt like every single one of them was on Rudy Gobert. You know, there was the one where he went straight up and down, kept his arms, you know, 
perfectly vertical, did not bring his arms down at all, and blocked Rudy Gobert right at the rim. Now Gobert came back down and caught the ball and went back up for two. But the fact that Robert Covington went up and met Rudy Gobert at the apex and blocked his shot is incredible. And then there was another one later on where it was, I think it was Tucker, Covington, and James Harden. They all collapsed on Rudy Gobert at the same time, and Covington was the one who swatted Rudy Gobert's shot away. So Covington excels as a shot blocker using his length, using his seven foot two wingspan. That's exactly what he can bring to this Rockets team. The, the weak side help defense is phenomenal. Let's think about a little bit earlier this season how Gary Clark provided a little bit of that. Now, I, I'm not comparing Gary Clark to Robert Covington. and Well, I guess I am, kind of. But obviously, Robert Covington has been doing this quite a bit longer and is significantly better at it. But that was what Gary Clark was able to bring a little bit of earlier this season, which is one of the reasons that I was so vehemently opposed to him rotting away on the bench because it felt like P.J. Tucker and Gary Clark side-by-side in a lineup. Gary Clark was a good weak side defender, was a good presence to have next to P.J. Tucker who doesn't play with a lot of verticality. P.J. Tucker is very much grounded to the floor at 6'5". You know, he's a stout defender. He's not going to get moved. He is an immovable object for offensive centers to try and, you know, post him up. But he's not going to get a lot of blocks. You know, he's not going to contest a lot of shots, you know, directly in the face of the defense. He's not going to successfully block many shots. That's where Robert Covington comes in. He can swing over from the weak side and be there for that last second contest. So defenders have to work hard against PJ or James for that matter. And then Robert Covington swings out of nowhere and says, gone. So I'm wholly impressed with Robert Covington, his defense. He brings exactly what you need to this Rockets team. Past Robert Covington, because I can continue to say good things about him all day. Eric Gordon and Ben McLemore both had solid games off the bench. Ben McLemore more than solid, in fact. Ben McLemore, well, I'll tell you what. It's kind of a 50-50 split with McLemore. I'll start with Gordon. Gordon, 12 points, 2 of 6 three-point shooting, 5 of 11 shooting overall. Had a few rebounds, had a few assists, had a couple steals. Great game overall from Eric Gordon off the bench. Not a 50-point burger, which would have been very welcome, but oh well. You know, it's his first game back. He, you know, played well in limited time, 24 minutes out there on the court. I'll take what I can get from Eric Gordon. Ben McLemore was sensational on offense. 12 points, hit all four of his three-point shots, grabbed four rebounds, but was a nightmare on defense. And this is where, and this will be my springboard into talking about Damari Carroll and then talking about Damari Carroll's Instagram story. This is where I think Damari Carroll has a chance to crack the rotation. Because I just, yes, Ben McLemore hit all four of his three-pointers. And so in this one, this is probably the prime example of the best and the worst that you get out of Ben McLemore. You got the best version of him offensively. He didn't miss a damn shot. 12 points, four, four from behind the arc. But defensively, I cannot count the number of times that one of the three Utah Jazz guards were able to just work themselves by Ben McLemore with ease. And it, it cannot be that easy. It just can't. So Ben McLemore, for everything that he gave them on offense, all 12 points, didn't miss a shot, he was a huge detriment on the defensive side of the basketball. And that's where Damari Carroll should be able to, all, you know, hopefully, depending on how the severity of the Instagram story post. So for those unfamiliar with the situation, Damari Carroll posted this 
thing to his Instagram story that said, warning, don't ever trust new friends, dot, dot, dot. Better yet, don't ever trust new associates. So that does not look the best concerning the Houston Rockets organization. And, you know, after playing just 13 minutes in his debut game against the Warriors and then not playing at all against the Utah Jazz, this story came in between the Warriors and Jazz game, so maybe he was a little bit upset about how little he played against the Warriors, but the dude hadn't even practiced yet. He signed his contract just before the game, so I don't I don't exactly know 100% how much I'm buying into it being a Rockets thing, but it's concerning nonetheless. It was deleted, so it didn't live out its shelf life. You know, Instagram stories, 24 hours, it didn't live out in the entire shelf life because it, del- it it was gone. You know, people started to go look for it, and it wasn't there. Granted, there's plenty of screen caps, myself included, having one on my phone. So it's it's on the once it's on the internet, it's permanently out there. You know, don't put anything on the internet you wouldn't want to be saved forever. And so it's it's out there. It's permanent. The concern is whether or not it's anything real, anything of substance that the Rockets need to concern themselves with or that will be an issue moving forward. So again, maybe, you know, having a guy obviously like Tyson Chandler, kind of a veteran presence on the team, you know, maybe that's somebody that, you know, they can lean on to maybe help defuse whatever situation this is. Because again, I'd like for Damari Carroll to be a consistent contributor for this team, but... That's an area that Damari Carroll should be able to help out in. Because Damari Carroll may not go 4 for 4 from behind the arc, but he's a respectable three-point shooter. And he gives you veteran defense, and he gives you a guy that, you know, he knows how to not get beat. Even, you know, at, what is it, 33, 34 years old, you know, as as a veteran, he's not going to lock anybody down. But he's going to be in the right spots, and he's going to play offensive player he's going to play defense the right way to not get burnt every single possession like Ben McLemore was getting so I like using Ben McLemore as a spark plug you know if you really need a few shots to go in if you just want to plug him in for 10 to 15 minutes a night which he played 13 minutes in this one you play him 10 to 15 minutes a night you let him be your spark plug off the bench if he misses his first one or two three-pointers you pull him you say all right if you're not hitting threes and you're being a net negative on defense then just get out of the game that's fine That's what they used Gerald Green for, for such a long time. Gerald Green was that spark plug off the bench, and Gerald Green had a bit more leeway because of his height, because his height and his athleticism allowed him to, you know, contest shots a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, and I don't know, I just never felt like Gerald was this much of a detriment on defense as Ben McLemore was. Maybe I'm misremembering, maybe my, my love of Gerald Green is fogging my memory, but Ben McMore just does not look like he can stay in front of anybody on the defensive side of the basketball. So that, come playoff time, is going to be a serious issue that they have to figure out. Pretty much hit on everybody that I wanted to hit on. Very quiet games from the entire Rockets front court. I mean, obviously we spoke about Robert Covington's struggles. P.J. Tucker just five points on one of five, well, one of five from behind the arc, two of six overall shooting. Daniel House Jr., also an extremely quiet game offensively just three points only attempted two three-point shots did secure four rebounds had an assist had a couple steals but overall very quiet evening for him pretty much all the damage in this game came from obviously the Rockets superstar duo as well as all the guards off the bench because even Jeff Green off the bench had a pretty quiet game just two points only attempted two shots did secure a handful of rebounds had a couple of assists so the ball movement was pretty good 
as a team, I mean, usually it's James Harden and Russell Westbrook facilitating everything, but James with just seven assists, Russ with just four assists, the rest of the assists were coming from the rest of the team. You know, nine assists across all the other Rockets is pretty impressive given that most of the assists, like 90% of them tend to come from just James and Russ. Austin Rivers, six points off the bench, hit two of his threes, two of his three three pointers, I should say. So again, a lot of the damage being done by the five guards in this one for the Houston Rockets. Jordan Clarkson for the Jazz did go off for another monster game as well as Donovan Mitchell, but Mitchell struggled from the three-point line, just one of six shooting from back there. Jordan Clarkson, two of five from behind the arc. Mitchell had 31 on this in this one, I should say, and Jordan Clarkson, 22 points. Mike Conley, a slightly quieter 13 points on 5 of 15 shooting. Rudy Gobert struggled in this one. He finished with 12 points, and he went to the charity stripe nine times, hit six of nine free throws. Not nice. and uh, But only had three made baskets. And so there's this, again, there's this impression that the that opposing teams have this inherent advantage, this size advantage that they should be able to use to dominate this smaller Rockets squad. And you've got Rudy Gobert, who just, to me, has no semblance of an offensive game whatsoever for a big and is not able to take advantage. And so I think that's where the Rockets will, you know, essentially have some found money down the line is you'll have teams with these seven footers or 6'10", 6'11 guys who are like, okay, we're just going to bully the Rockets. And then you forget that PJ Tucker is a wall down there in the post that James Harden is in the 95th percentile for post defense. It's those two guys are not going to get bullied in the post. So I'm excited to see this team and how they handle the, uh, you know, the plethora of bigs out there in the league moving forward. And I was talking about a little bit on Twitter is I do think that my biggest worry is actually going to be Kristaps Porzingis from the Mavs and then Nikola Jokic from the Nuggets, because those two guys don't necessarily need to bully you down in the paint the way that other bigs do. Those two guys are comfortable facing you up, taking, you know, face up jumpers and, you know, passing to, cutting guards, cutting forwards, whatever. I'm interested to see those matchups. And luckily, the Rockets face up with the Dallas Mavericks two more times this season. So we'll get a better look at how they match up there as a potential first-round opponent. However, the Denver Nuggets, that season series is done, tied two games apiece for the Rockets. So we won't get a chance to see true small ball against the Nuggets until the postseason, potentially. Past all that, the Rockets play the... New York Knicks in Houston Monday evening. It is Travis Scott bobblehead night. So Travis Scott gets his first bobblehead as an avid fan of the Houston Rockets and as a Houston native, he gets his very first bobblehead. So that'll be an exciting thing. So if you're headed to the game tonight, be sure to get there early. Be sure to snag your bobblehead, take lots of photos and whatnot. But I think that's where we will end things for today's episode. So as always, thank you all so much for tuning in. And we hope to have you back again very, very soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.